I have had so much fun here on National Gumbo Day just watching the internet. And, you know, you guys on our Facebook page, the News Talk KPL965 Facebook page, you guys have had a lot of opinions. I've been active in the comments. I've been trying to figure out your secrets. I've got my, everybody's got their gumbo recipe. But I did troll some folks. If you're if you're on our Facebook page and you're listening, I apologize for the very offensive image I shared from my Facebook page, Joe Cunningham, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, to the KPEL page. Um, and it was a tweet from uh, KPRC in Houston two years ago. Happy National Gumbo Day. Where do you get the best gumbo in the Houston area? But the picture that they included, and again, this is two years ago, they deleted this tweet because they got so much blowback uh, from us here in the East, just trashing them. Uh, They deleted this tweet, but I kept a screenshot of it. And what they posted looks at best like a Creole shrimp stew. It's not a gumbo. It's a deep red, very large chunks of tomatoes. Uh... Looks like, yeah, there's shrimp. Very, I, I like okra in my gumbo, don't get me wrong, but there's very large, very green chunks of, it looks very Christmassy, the green okra and the red shrimp and tomato. But it's not a gumbo. But I did post it, uh, and with the, with the question on the KPL news page, is this acceptable? And at this point, um, some of y'all have to be recognizing this is a little more than just a... a uh, a simple trolling attempt because I knew how y'all would react to it. Two three two fifteen forty two. If you want to be part of the conversation, but to be fair, Moon was on Acadiana's Morning News this morning and mentioned that he includes tomatoes in his gumbo as well. But Moon's kind of from this. He he's he's got a little bit of that that Creole taste to him, I, I guess. Uh, to include, but but he says he blends his up, which is fine. Not I, I don't mind not seeing the chunks of tomatoes up. Uh, in North Louisiana, my father-in-law will do the Creole style with the tomatoes in it. I'm not, I, I don't like chunks of tomatoes in things. I like fresh sliced tomato, like on a sandwich. I don't like stewed. I don't like the the can, the mushy stuff. Now, ro- Rotel in like Velveeta as a Rotel dip, that's fine. I don't like chunks of tomatoes and like stews and things. I don't like vegetable soup for that reason because most people leave chunks of tomatoes in it. But I'm most assuredly not going to put it in gumbo. That is, uh, even for my uh, relative Yankee self, because I'm from Natchitoches and not from down here, uh, I, I am general, generally opposed to tomatoes and gumbo. But I had to share that picture because I saw it on my own Facebook memories and had to share it with the rest of the world so I couldn't suffer alone. Uh, like I said, 232-1542 if you want to call in. You can send a message to the KPL. App chat, uh, select general message. If you just chat, tap that little app button, select general message, send the message in. I'll respond to those on the air. I've been doing that behind the scenes during the breaks when you guys have messaged in. Uh, but would love to hear from y'all. All right. So the, the news of the day, there's a lot going on. I, I have the show notes went out, joecunninghamshow.substack.com. The show notes are out. You can go sign up. You can see the show notes. You can also sign up to get them an email. But there is, uh, there is some breaking news that's out there. You just heard it in the Fox News report, so let's get to that real quick. Uh, Alex Jones is being ordered to pay nearly a billion dollars for the Sandy Hook 
uh, scandal. Now, remember, Sandy Hook was a mass shooting at a school. Uh, Jones said it was a false flag operation, that the grieving parents were paid actors, all this sort of stuff. There were multiple plaintiffs who sued for defamation, emotional damages, things like that. Uh, Jones will have to pay about $965 million to people who suffered from his false claim that Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting was a hoax. A jury in Connecticut decided on Wednesday. This comes after a Texas jury in August ordered Jones to pay $50 million to the parents of another slain child. This is very big news in, uh, in the political world because we're, this is one of those tests of the First Amendment. And this is why the First Amendment has limits. Uh, Jones is not a good person. Jones routinely exploits his audience. He peddles them conspiracy theories. He says all sorts of outrageous things that he admitted on the stand he knows are not true, but he still peddles those things. And the jig is up. He got himself caught up in one big scandal and it just blew up in his face. And now he's going to he's going to be on the hook for about a billion dollars to for uh to to come up to to answer for the damages he's caused to these families. This is a very a very big deal and it should be a very good a very important warning for a lot of people. I suspect though it won't be because a lot of people kind of like the 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 school lockdown thing that we're going through right now. Uh this should be a lesson people learn. They should be able to see this story. They should learn that lesson. But a lot of people simply don't because it happens to other people. It doesn't happen to them. And when it will happen to them, oh boy. All right. So let's take an early break. Well, not really early. We're at kind of that mark. Uh, 232-1542. If you want to call and be part of the conversation, let's go to the show I wanted to do right up until that news broke. And let's start with the new summer literacy program coming to Louisiana schools. I want to talk about that and give you my thoughts on it. Here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, uh, you can also send a message to the app chat. Just open up the app chat. If you're on the app, uh, as long as you're not driving, go ahead and open up that app chat. Just select general message and uh, send one in. I'm, I'm continuing a conversation with one of the listeners from yesterday about Tulsi Gabbard. Um I think it's really important to note that if Tulsi Gabbard were a Republican leaving the Republican Party, this would be a major news story that was all over the place yesterday. As it was, it got some headlines, but it died down pretty quick because the media doesn't really want to cover it. When a Democrat's leaving the party over flaws in the Democratic Party, that's not as important to them as them covering flaws in the Republican Party. They're not going to spend as much time on Tulsi Gabbard leaving the Democratic Party as much as they're going to pay attention to a Liz Cheney or an Adam Kinziger wanting to up and leave the Republicans and acting uh, like renegades from the Republican Party. Huge difference in the coverage, I think. Anyway, to the stories of the day. We've got a lot to go over. Uh, so do we, new, do we need a new end-of-the-year test? And that's 
that's kind of the question of the moment. The uh, Louisiana Department of Education announced today that a vote um, uh, that the, the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education voted to, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education voted to approve a plan to uh, institute a summer literacy program. So what does this mean? Well, originally, the, the plan was discussed for kindergarten through fourth or fifth grade. Uh, the approved plan yesterday covers third and fourth graders. And what it means is that if you're third and fourth grader at the end of the year when they get their literacy screening. Now, most of these screenings are already offered in Louisiana schools, but districts use different uh, literacy screenings. Uh, here and I think a few of the surrounding areas, we use what's called uh, Dibbles, which is, let me pull this, make sure I get it right because I don't want to give you the wrong information. Uh, I spent a lot of time, you know, kind of looking into this, trying to figure it out. Uh, the Dynamic Indicators of Basic, uh, basic Early Literacy Skills, Dibbles, uh, screening. The state, I think, is working on a statewide universal screen that can kind of give us uh, an apples to apples comparison. But basically at the end of the year, your child is going to get this screening. If they are at or above reading level, no, nothing to worry about. But if they're below reading level, they've got some options. One of them is a 30 hour summer literacy program. It's like summer school, but focused on literacy. Uh, ELA teachers in the state are being trained with the science of literacy training, which is basically kind of going back to what we used to call phonics and things like that. And it's a it's a focus on making sure that kids are learning to read, practicing reading, getting up to level. The third and fourth graders that this applies to are the kids who at the very most formative years of learning to read, first and second grade, were deeply impacted by the COVID shutdown. So the end of their first grade year for some of them was uh, the end of their first and second grade year. Their school year was shut down three months early. They lost a huge chunk of that literacy training. And then the following year, they had to work on a hybrid schedule. And, and so you have at this point, you have kids who are a, as much as a year behind where they should be in terms of reading. And so this program is being instituted for these particular grade levels, third and fourth grade, to get them caught up to where they should be. I spoke with someone, I spoke with a couple people about this today, just trying to wrap my head around it. Uh, there's a couple things. Now, one, this is not a, a, a leap test. This is not a new end of the year test, but it is a screening at the end of the year. And it is focused on helping kids retain or, or seeing if kids have retained their literacy training. This is not some sit down and take this days long test like the leave test. This is a simple screening. But there is some added pressure on the teachers and the students because of it. If the student and their family say we can't, you know, we can't afford to go to summer school, we can't, we don't have the time for summer school, anything like that. There's some other plan that's out there. The plan includes possible retention if they're not on level and they don't go to the summer literacy program. And, uh, and, and retention, 
is not exactly the best way to go about things. Retention doesn't really help. There are studies that show retention doesn't really help all that much. So we have to figure out a way to make sure to get the kids to buy in and the families to buy in to the summer literacy program or make sure that we're implementing the proper interventions during the year to make sure the kids are on level. Now, this is not a screening that's being dumped on them all of a sudden. These screenings already happen at the beginning of the year, the middle of the year, and the end of the year. And these interventions are good. These multiple screenings are good at seeing where the kids are. I mentioned when we first brought this issue up uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Accelerated Reader, for example. Some districts still use Accelerated Reader. Some have kind of drifted away from it. But one of the good things that it did was it, it showed you when you took their STAR test, it showed you where your kid was in terms of their reading level. And it showed you where they should end up by the end of the year if they kept a good steady pace of reading. Not every kid is on the same level. Not every kid who goes into their third grade year is right there at a third grade level. In fact, there's a good chance that right now, because of the issues with COVID and the shutdowns and all that, kids could be well behind. But let's just say most kids enter at the third grade level, but they're all at different parts. They're, they're, all, they're, they're not all exactly the same place. Will a kid who starts out the beginning of their third grade year as a normal third grader at the beginning of the year, will they, will they be able to reach a fourth grade reading level by the end of the year? Not all of them. Not all of them are avid readers. And some will start behind the curve. Some kids are, you know, somewhere in their mid-second grade level of reading. And I think the thing that I'm worried about on this, and you can call in and you can give your thoughts if you want to, 232-1542, or send a message to the app chat, the thing I'm worried about is, is, is there a, a universal baseline or is it going to be different for every kid? Are we saying you enter third grade with a third grade level, you leave third grade with a fourth grade reading level? Is that where they're supposed to be? Or is it really going to be flexible depending on the kids' abilities, their needs, things like that? That's always going to be the issue for me. And this goes to how each school district handles it. Now, this is going to be interesting because the two, this, is, this program has been approved for this school year and next school year, which coincides with the timeline that the state has to spend pandemic uh, funding that came in from the federal government. They need to spend this money. So this money is going to go to local school districts to flesh out their summer programs to be able to hire the teachers necessary to teach the literacy program classes along with the expanded summer school classes. Speaking with somebody today, you know, LPSS expanded their summer uh, their summer school program in summer of 2001. So LPSS may be in a better spot in terms of infrastructure laid out for an expanded program to include the summer literacy program, but some districts may be building from scratch here. And passing it, you know, right here at the end of the first quarter of the school year to have a policy in place for the end of the school year may be risky. Overall, though, I really do like the idea of focusing on literacy. It's unfortunate that we haven't done it before, but it's good that we're trying to now.
So anyway, let's see, we're about to take our break. In the meantime, 232-1542, let's go ahead and take our break. When we come back, we'll talk about the public policy polling for John Kennedy. That and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL, 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, let's dive back in to the news of the day. Senator John Kennedy uh, is looking pretty good right now in terms of his reelection campaign. Uh, public policy polling is a progressive polling firm. They typically operate by providing a lot of really out there but good, favorable polling for Democrats. And then the closer you get to, a, to an election, they tighten things up, but they still favor the Democratic Party in their polling in terms of the questions they ask, in terms of the demographic breakdown, things like that. Uh, Kennedy is polling at 53% for public policy polling. And if PPP is, if, if it has Kennedy at 53%, you're probably looking at Kennedy getting somewhere between 57 and 60% for the midterm itself. One of the things you need to note is that this particular poll had uh, it forty one percent of respondents were Democrats thirty uh, like a third of the voters uh, a third of the respondents were Republican and then the remainder were uh, were independents not a very good breakdown of voters in Louisiana based on traditional vote and just registration in general but the voting habits of of Louisiana voters and everything like that. Uh, what's even more interesting is that while they oversampled Democrats, they undersampled black voters. Black voters in the state make up somewhere between 33 and 35 percent, if not more, of the Democratic Party and the, the state in general. Um, yeah, the state in general, they make up about two thirds of the Democratic Party, but about one third of the of the uh, of the state's voting demographic. But they only they, only thirty percent of the respondents in the PPP poll were black, which is interesting to note because in this poll, Luke Mixon has double the support of Gary Chambers. Luke Mixon walks away from this PPP poll with sixteen percent support, while Gary Chambers has eight percent support. It's a very interesting breakdown. I'm not exactly sure how that breaks down for Chambers because again, I, the 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 results here, the, res the numbers in terms of respondents, very odd. Part of the problem is, and I think it's a problem that we're seeing nationwide in the polling, which I've kind of talked about a little bit before. Republicans aren't answering polls. You can say 35, 36, 37% of your respondents were Republican because Republicans aren't answering polls. And what you need to understand is only the really detailed and frankly really expensive pollsters are calling people on their cell phones. Groups like PPP and others still call landlines. Well, how many of us still have an active landline these days? That's typically reserved for you for older voters, but in trying to get a decent sample of younger voters, there's not that many landlines out there. So they may be getting some young voters. PPP is a noted national firm. They're not getting a whole lot of young respondents. 
And that does play a role in, in terms of who they're getting to answer the polls. Republicans just aren't answering polls much anymore. And I think that's kind of, that's what uh, Robert Cahaley at Trafalgar has been saying for a while now, that there's an uncounted Republican vote out there. The pollsters simply aren't picking up because those Republicans aren't answering polls. But even with this demographic breakdown, John Kennedy has 53% in the polls. In this poll, that means he's walking back into re-election. There's not going to be a runoff. But I find the breakdown for the Democrats a little bit more interesting. The Democratic Party is two-thirds black voter. And the two black candidates combined are getting less than Luke Mixon is. So there is still a racial discrepancy in who's turning out to support in the elections. Now, again, black voters may not be answering polls like white voters are. That could be the case, and you could see actually a surge for chambers come election day. But the problem is, here, here's one of the things you need to note. In this poll, they asked the question, did you know that John Kennedy voted against the bipartisan infrastructure bill? because this has been a line of attack from the Democrats, including those who have sent me messages on our app chat and on Facebook and things like that. Do you, did you know that John Kennedy voted against the bipartisan infrastructure bill? Does hearing this make you less likely or more likely to vote for Senator Kennedy, or does it not make a difference? 29% of voters said it made them less likely to vote for Kennedy. 36% said it made them more likely to vote for Kennedy. And 27% says it does not make a difference. 8% said they're not sure. So after asking voters that, after telling voters that, John Kennedy still gets 53% in the poll. And Gary Chambers' numbers go up and uh, uh, Sarita Steve numbers goes up. Luke Mixon's number stays the same. So that question is not taking away from Kennedy's majority, which tells me that the ones who are undecided right now are Democrats trying to figure out which way to go. So 53 is probably Kennedy's floor. And there are some not sures that still are left to be redistributed who will either not vote or who will side with Kennedy. Because they don't, they'll, they don't have a choice. They don't have a choice they like right now. And that's, where the Democratic Party in the state of Louisiana has a major issue. They don't have candidates who were known enough to put up a fight against these statewide elected Republicans. John Bill Edwards' team moved over to help Luke Mixon, and he's only picking up 16%, and he's having troubles with money. Gary Chambers is having troubles with money. He gets all this outside money, but he spends it on these viral campaign ads and things like that and, his, and all this travel and stuff that he's done outside of the state of Louisiana. But he's not really doing anything to build up the ground game. The Democrats have a problem. They don't have a statewide foundation for any of their candidates. Gary Chambers could actually be a great candidate for the Democratic Party. But he doesn't have the focus. He doesn't have the campaign discipline right now. He's released objectively for his for his audience, objectively good ads. But they're not reaching anybody because they're online ads. 
and his statements and his social media presence, that's not getting voters right where they are. He can pick up more support if he's actually out there fighting in his communities, being visible, but he's riding the internet fame and the notoriety that comes from these controversial online ads, and he's not putting effort into a ground game in the state. Luke Mixon is trying to build a ground game in the state, but he is generic white Democrat. He's not really drawing anything to him. He's got that 16% hooray. He's at more than Gary Chambers. But how much more is he going to be able to pick up? Impossible to say. Because 12%, even after people are told that John Kennedy voted against a bipartisan infrastructure bill, 12% still don't know who they're going to vote for. And that's not because it's people who are like, I don't like Kennedy, but I don't know what else to do. It's people who are like, I'm a Democrat, but I don't know which way to vote. The Democrats have a problem. They're not going to beat John Kennedy. Let's just get that out of the way right now. They're not going to beat John Kennedy. That 53% is his floor. And he's going to be a lot closer to 60% than 53 from where things stand right now. But, but, things can change. Gary Chambers, Sarita Steve, whoever can rally black voters and get them to move, get them out to vote. And the more of them that go out to vote, the smaller Kennedy's share of that vote. This is one poll. It's the only national firm to come into Louisiana and have a publicly released poll, but it's one poll. But given what we know about the lay of the land right now, based on trends, based on demographics, based on voter behavior, 53% is Kennedy's floor. And he seems like he's a lot more popular than 53% in the state of Louisiana, but we shall see. All right, let's go ahead and take this break. When we come back, let's talk about some of the national races, plus your calls and your messages here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to call in, be part of the conversation. So the, hang on a sec. Man, I hate ad blocks so much. Um there is some controversy brewing. NBC News. I find it I find it interesting. NBC News, not to be confused with MSNBC at this point. NBC News digital team is really making some ways because they are being pretty down the middle in terms of their reporting. They are in my opinion becoming one of the the more fair out digital outlets when it comes to particularly political Reporting, NBC News reporter uh, Daisha Burns interviewed Pennsylvania candidate John Fetterman, uh, who required closed captioning as an aid in their discussion due to auditory cognition problems that have developed since his stroke back in May. Uh, Burns actually uh, pointed out that in the, she said this, in the small talk before the interview without captioning, it wasn't clear he was understanding our conversation. Progressive activists on Twitter are now unloading on this reporter, on Daisha Burns, for daring 
to impede the cognitive abilities of a stroke victim. One person called it ableism. It's like racism, but instead of, you know, making judgments on somebody based on the race, you're making judgments on, you know, their handicaps. Uh, journalist Kara Swisher, famed podcaster and the co-founder of Recode, uh, attacked, uh, and uh, my buddy Caleb Howe at Mediaite points this out. Uh, they And there's really kind of three steps to this backlash. The first step, saying that their own experience with Fetterman is different. The second step, using that difference as a means to question the competence and integrity of Burns and her colleagues. And the third step is relating the first two things to being insensitive or ableist. Liberals do not want you to question the mental fitness of John Fetterman. They don't want you to question the mental fitness of Joe Biden. Even the New York Times uh, yesterday, I think it was, wrote a whole story about how Joe Biden is constantly lying, but they couldn't say lying. They couldn't say lying. They could not bring themselves to say Joe Biden was lying. They just called him a serial fabricator. They just uh, they uh, talked about the euphemisms that he used and things like that. They didn't say Joe Biden's been lying on all sorts of things. And this is another case of that. You can't question the mental fitness of John Fetterman. You can't question the mental fitness of Joe Biden. But God help us, if if Donald Trump waddles down a, a ramp a little too fast or he accidentally butt-tweets the word kafefe on Twitter, it's days-long news cycles about, is he losing his mind? They question whether or not he was going insane, whether he was mentally fit to be the president. The entire time, they question his mental fitness. Meanwhile, you have Joe Biden, who has to be shuffled off a stage, who routinely says, oh, I wasn't supposed to say that, who gets lost in conversation. You have John Fetterman, who cannot finish sentences when he's at rallies, who says off-the-wall statements, they don't make sense, has real cognitive issues from a stroke he just had. But God help you. If you dare make some ableist comment about their cognitive ability, there are real problems that have to be addressed here. John Fetterman is not doing great as a candidate. That's why Mehmet Oz is able to get close. Oz is not a great candidate either, but Oz has stayed disciplined. He's been on message and he's been attacking Fetterman on the crime issue and he did just enough pointing out that Fetterman didn't want to debate because of the stroke and questioning his mental fitness that that's now resonated with voters. But there are actual observable issues there. Fetterman would not debate unless there was a screen that displayed the questions for him. He does not have the cognitive ability to just listen and respond to questions. He's running for office in, the world, in one of the world's most deliberative bodies. If you cannot argue, if you cannot debate, if you cannot understand what's being asked of you in this body, you're not fit for that office. But the media doesn't want you to answer that. They don't want you to ask that question. It's extremely hypocritical. And meanwhile, yes, you've got Herschel Walker making off-the-wall statements in Georgia. And he's got his own problems. And the Democrats will redirect you to Herschel Walker and ask you to ignore John Fetterman. These are real issues that time after time, 
everybody's having to answer because as I said yesterday, the quality of our candidates has to matter. The character has to matter. We have to get better candidates, both sides. But it is absolutely fair game. The progressives don't want you to think it is, but it is absolutely fair game to say, is John Fetterman capable of being a U.S. senator? Because right now it's pretty clear he's not. They supposedly have a date coming up, but it'll be right before the midterm elections. Everybody is preparing their vote in Pennsylvania already. People who early vote, people who mail-in vote, they're already getting their ballots, they're already starting to make their choices. And this is coming late, but it may have an impact on the day of elections. There is a surge of data coming out that people are really making the calculation I've been talking about for several days now. The calculation is this. Yes, I have a flawed candidate. Yes, they're not the ideal candidate. But can I take the flawed candidate over the known candidate who votes for things and believes in things that I do not believe in? And particularly on the Republican side, voters seem to be trending no, I'm going to go with the flawed candidate who says the things I like and believes the things I do. And that is the big issue. All right, I hope you guys have a fantastic day. 23 hours until the Joe Cunningham Show is back. In the meantime, Shannon is offsides coming up shortly. You guys have a fantastic afternoon. Talk to you again in 23 hours. Follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. JoeCunninghamShow.substack.com to get the show notes and sign up for the emails. Talk to you guys again soon here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.